Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. Good morning. We're so glad that you're here today. Welcome. I'm glad you're here today. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love that you sent Jesus to be with us. You sent heaven down to earth. God, I pray this morning that as we're here in your presence, your word would come alive to us, that you would speak to us. Holy Spirit, you would move in our hearts. And God, I pray that we wouldn't leave the same. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, yes. Let's celebrate the men that are here today. Wish I could see you better. Man, we're so much better together, you know? Travis and I, that's like the motto of our life. We're just better together. Not even just marriage, just men and women, young and old. We are better together. We can learn from each other. We can lean on each other. We can push each other forward. Uh, I'm thinking of the ladies' retreat, which is coming up in, in April. But at that ladies' retreat, there was so many forgotten towels one of the first years. Because on the list, it says, bring your own towel. They don't supply them. It's just something that ends up slipping everybody's mind. Nothing a little trip to the dollar store can't fix, provided you like to be covered in lint after your shower. And I wasn't the one who found that out, just so you know. So if you like lint, dollar store is your place for towels. So this year... Travis was uh, responsible for packing the bedding for the guest speaker who is there. He's an amazing speaker friend of ours, Pastor Bob Grimm. We're going to hope to bring him back one time. He brought a friend with him, so Travis had to pack bedding for those two guys and himself. And so who had to pack bedding? Yeah. (laughs) Except that we're staying at his mom's house, so (laughs) she helped. It's pretty convenient that way. Long story, we're renovating. It's taking forever. Okay, so Travis, um, we had set out like three pillows and all the sheets and stuff, and he was grabbing a couple of things from home. So as he went to pack it all up into the suitcase and saw three pillows, he said, oh, I don't need three because I grabbed mine from home. And so I just thought, well, I mean, you've got room. You might as well pack three because somebody is bound to forget theirs. And so sure enough, he packed three, and a little while later, I went into the bedroom or whatever, and there was Travis's pillow that he had brought from home. So the third pillow was, in fact, for the guy who forgot the pillow, Travis. (laughs) All right. If you want to think back to me, maybe you're in the toddler stage right now, Maybe you're an aunt or an uncle, you've experienced toddlers. Maybe you're a parent whose toddlers have now grown up. I don't know, but for me, my kids are all taller and older than me every time I blink. Uh, Not older, taller and getting older. (laughs) So remembering back to road trips with toddlers. This is my introduction. Don't worry, we'll get somewhere important. So you go on a road trip with your toddler, you need diapers, you need baby food, you need goldfish, and some of you like goldfish too. You cannot forget the goldfish. Sippy cups, bottles, soothers, blankets. Who am I kidding? That's not a road trip. That's just a drive across town. You have to prepare 
to enjoy your time if you're going to leave the house with a toddler, right? So this morning I want to talk a little bit in the direction of planning and preparing. This weekend, I sort of had it in my mind that we were going to go to the ski hill and we're going to have a great time, just Nighthawk. Um, and so we had made plans. Friday night, we're going to the hill. But on Friday mid-morning, I realized we had forgotten to make the preparations to go on our trip. The boys were at school already, and they had a haircut immediately after school, and there wasn't going to be time to go back and forth and get their stuff, because if I'm going to pay for skiing, I want to be there the minute the hill opens, you know? I'm not going to pay and then miss an hour of the time I've paid for. So it was really in my mind. we got to get there right away. But um, we hadn't prepared their stuff. Now, that was fine. I just told the girls, you know, I need you to gather up their stuff, and that poses a very large problem for Logan because they might not choose the matching stuff or they might not pick the one he had in mind. So Logan was quite upset when I said that was what was going to happen. And I said, it's OK, make a list, and the girls will take a picture. And so they did quite well. I picked up the boys from school, and everybody's stuff had made it into the truck. We drove across town to make it to our hair appointment just so barely in time. And um, the boys get there. They start looking through their stuff, and they say, well, where, where's my ski jacket? And one of the girls says, oh, no, I forgot your jacket. So I said, that's OK, boys. You just go in, get your hair cut. I'll drive. I'll get the jacket. We'll be fine. So I drive all the way to the other end of, the of town, and I come back. And um, <laughs> they get out of their haircut. And Jakin says, hey, girls, where's my jacket? <laughs> and they go, oh, no, we only thought Logan needed his jacket. <laughs> So we drove all the way across to the other end of town. We had to go to Grovedale and pick up some skis. And we did not plan and prepare for what I had in mind. I had envisioned something very different. So that's sort of what's on my heart as we begin to wrap up this series, Better Than 2020 Vision. Today, the title of the message is Provision for Vision. Provision for vision. And what I want us to understand today is that we must, we must own that we are able to make decisions regarding our vision. We have to own that. We have to own that there is something that requires us to take action. Vision requires us to take a step. It requires us to do the next right thing in order to see it to come to pass. So we're not meant to focus on vision. If you want to go back and listen to some of the messages, I think they were wonderful. I think they were right on track to where we're at right now as a church. We're not meant to focus on the vision. We talked about in one of the messages, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. We need to fix our thoughts on Jesus. And we need to fix our hope on Jesus. So we don't focus on the vision. We don't strive for that. God will speak to us. He'll show us. We can hear him. But it is up to us to find a way, step by step, to walk that out, to live that vision out. So I read this week, and I really like this, vision without execution is just hallucination. Vision without execution is just hallucination. It kind of just feels like a 
really? People attribute that quote from everyone, from Edison to Einstein. Someone traces it back all the way to a Japanese proverb that goes, vision without action is a daydream. Action without vision is a nightmare. Vision without action is a daydream. Action without vision is a nightmare. So we need both. We need to be walking with the Lord, hearing what he has for us, walking in obedience. But when you're truly focused on something, you're truly focused on vision, provisions are made. So I'm not talking about the word provision where, where you know, you might have heard in the religious circles, where there's vision, there's provision. God will provide. True. Okay, different story. Today, I'm talking about what can we do, what provisions do we have to make for the vision. We need creative vision, but vision alone is not enough. We need execution. So, Merriam-Webster defines provision as the act or process of providing, the fact or state of being prepared beforehand, a measure taken beforehand to deal with a need or contingency, preparation, example, they made provision for replacements, a stock of needed materials or supplies. And I think that sometimes we forget in order for our dreams to come to pass, in order for some of the things that God has spoken to us to come to be, in order for some of those things in our heart to become reality, we have to make provisions. And there's a process that we must prepare. We must take stock and make provisions. So can we be really honest this morning? I just, I just really had a few practical things on my mind that I wanted to walk through as God has been speaking to us. If you brought your Bible today, um, I was listening to Nehemiah chapter 1. And I usually like to read and sit down with my Bible, but sometimes I'll push play on one of the translations on version, and it just kind of changes the way I hear things or see things when someone's saying it. So it's a really good way to get the Bible into you. You can do it while you're getting ready, while you're driving. You know, maybe you're not a book person or a sit-down person. Listening is an option. So I'm in Nehemiah chapter 1, and I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. So if you're new with us, don't be concerned that people are on their phone. They never check social media or emails or text. They are always in you version following along with us. <laughs> okay, so Nehemiah chapter 1. I don't really want to read it through, but I've got like all the chapters for you, so I'm just going to highlight the whole chapter. <laughs> okay, so it's, it starts out, these are the memoirs of Nehemiah, um, and it, it sort of says some background about him. In verse um, chapter 2, I mean, verse 2 of chapter 1, Han and I, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who'd returned there from captivity and how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They're in great trouble and disgrace. 
The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed, destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people. Let's read that verse together, that last part. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. I confess we've sinned against you. He goes on in verse chapter 8, please remember what you told your servant Moses. Basically, the books uh, of the Old Testament, Moses, we can quote the Old Testament too, but he's saying, remember these things. If you're unfaithful to me, I'll scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you're exiled to the ends of the earth, I'll bring you back to the place I've chosen for my name to be honored. Nehemiah is reminding God of his words. He's basically praying Bible. The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. So Nehemiah was a cupbearer for the king. So he had a job. He had a position. But his buddies come along and say, hey, your people are not okay. And there's great concern. So he knows, I've got to do something about this. I'm going to go before the king. That's why it sort of ends there. So what I want to draw out of this chapter and what, what God sort of showed me when it comes to vision, Nehemiah, he didn't receive a big, large, boom, crash, thunder, lightning. This is the Lord speaking, and here's the vision I have for your life. It wasn't like that. Some guys came along and said, hey, I've heard about some people that aren't okay. They're on, they're on the verge of destruction. They're not doing well. And so Nehemiah is made aware of a need. And I want us to know that sometimes vision comes in being made aware of a need. And what does Nehemiah do? He prays for them. He's on his knees before the Lord. He's listening to the Lord. He quotes the words of God. And I think that we tend to overcomplicate things because every single one of us is called to people who are in trouble and are disgraced and are in danger of fire, if you can track with me. We are all called to people who are on the verge of destruction because without Jesus, our sin would leave us destroyed and separated from God. And so he had a plan. He sent Jesus for us, and he calls us to go out and tell people about Jesus and the great things that he's done. In Luke chapter 4, verse, eight, nine, verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. It's speaking of Jesus, but we know the Spirit of the Lord is on us for these very same things. We can declare this over ourselves even every morning. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
We all are called to people, people that need Jesus. Every single one of us needs Jesus. If we read on in chapter 2, Nehemiah speaks of how troubled he is, and what happens is the king notices. He says to Nehemiah, you look terrible. Isn't it fun when you meet someone and they say, oh, you look so tired. Thank you. So the king's saying, Nehemiah, you don't look good, buddy. You're looking sad. You look troubled. You're not looking good. And so it's an open door. Sometimes we have to take those open doors. He's terrified, but he steps out. He tells the king, you know, king, the city where my ancestors are, the place of my family, it's in ruins. And the gates have been destroyed, and the enemy is attacking my people. It's attacking the people. Uh, it's heavy on my heart. And he explains to the king that he would like to leave and go rebuild the city. I think sometimes we see those things as, as you know, can't. I, I can't. I always tell my kids, can you change your language to be an I can person? It's not I can't. You know, maybe we don't see how that's going to work out. We have a job. We can't just leave when God is putting something on our heart. But it's an open door. And so he steps through that open door instead of just the I can't posture. And he begins to explain to the king, I would like to leave and go help rebuild the city. And so what Nehemiah does is he begins to make plans and preparations. If you want to read Nehemiah this week, what stood out to me was he asked for some letters because he knew I'm going to run into trouble along the way. So could you just prepare some letters for me so that when I go, you know, through the different cities and gates, I've got, I've got you who's endorsed my trip. He began to bring letters in verse 7 so that he could travel safely through. And in verse 11, it says, So I arrived in Jerusalem three days later, slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. I had not told anyone about the plans God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. And there's something to note here. I think sometimes when God speaks to us, we often too quickly tell other people, and we run it by them, and we can easily be talked out of the big things that maybe God has put in front of us. We can easily be influenced by fear or practicality and just not go forward. So he hadn't told a lot of people about the plans God had put in his heart, but there was a few. And there's always going to be a few that you're going to need to help uh, propel you forward with vision. So it goes on talking about their trip. They took no animals. They're riding on a donkey. And um, let's hop forward to verse 16. The city officials did not know I'd been out there or what I was doing, for I had not yet said anything to anyone about my plans. I had not yet spoken to the Jewish leaders, to the priests, the nobles, and officials, or anyone in the administration. But now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then I told him about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. And they replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. And I think we can take a note even in that 
chapter vision is always easier to get behind. If we can um, understand what's in our heart rather than just, oh, I need some help. It's a terrible job. We might have better luck with the things God is asking us to do. So they go on to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And if you read in chapter 3, it jumped out to me, and you want to pay attention to the way that chapter identifies that everybody had a part to play in the vision. It lists the different people that were part of rebuilding the wall and the section that they repaired. It, it would say, th- you know, it would say some had bigger sections, some had smaller, but this person repaired the wall outside of their house. Uh, the other priests started to rebuild at the sheep gate. People from the town of Jericho worked at the fish gate. Really good names. They're very practical. You would know where, where to find them. Um, they laid the beams. They set up the doors. Haggaz repaired the next section of the wall. And then it lists all these names that you probably don't want to name your baby after because it'd be hard to pronounce. Meshulam, Barakiah, Mezesh, Mesabel. <laughs> Meshazabel, Zadok, son of Banna. Okay, so it's listing who they are and what they did, but it was very clear to me it wasn't a one-person job. Everybody had a role to play. Whatever their capacity, whatever their ability, whatever their location, they could get on to be a part of the vision that God had for restoring those people and they probably had other visions and other dreams and other things that they were already doing other careers other responsibilities but they could still play a part however big or small and so that whole chapter is just full of and then came so and so and they did blank and then their daughters and their sons it's all of us together so what I want us to get out of this today is three points. Provision for vision includes prayer, planning, and preparation. That's one. And people. Prayer, planning and preparation, and people. So let's talk about prayer. When we are listening When we are willing to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to us, he will speak to us. And I think what happens is sometimes it's just so darn practical that we miss it. We are waiting for the big, loud boom. And here, in Nehemiah's case, it was just a small need that brought him to his knees. He's made aware of his need of a need, it brings him to his knees, and he begins to talk to God about it. He begins to listen and cry out and pray and have a heart for people. Psalm 32, verse 8, one of my favorite verses, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. But sometimes... It's super practical, guys. Sometimes it's just the next right thing. God might be whispering to you, and you're waiting for the huge revelation. And what actually he wants to talk to you about 
is the fact that you need to uh, incorporate a meal plan into your life. He might want to talk to you about the pace at which you're running. He might want to talk to you about some of the simple things, and you're writing those off and not listening. He might want to talk to you about eating less fast food. I'm not looking at anybody. (laughs) When we are in prayer, we can hear from him. We can have his eyes. We can have his heart. And so we have to make provision for a time to hear God. That might be while you're putting on your makeup, driving to work in your car. It might be going out for a walk or a run. It might be sitting in a chair with a coffee cup. But prayer and time in God's presence is a key provision when it comes to vision. If you want something to not just be a hallucination, prayer is going to be a key to what you need. Planning and preparation. Number two, planning and preparation. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 5, good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. There's plenty in the Bible that speaks to planning and preparation. Proverbs, look at the ant, how they prepare. Um, Let's look at Luke chapter 14. I don't really like reading this one right now. You'll probably figure out why. Um, And if you do not carry your your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost? Like who would begin a renovation in the middle of November and lift the roof off and not consider that you might have to move in with your in-laws. <laughs> and that the, the cost of doing a renovation is going to stretch you further than you wanted to be stretched. Who would do that? See what I mean? It's a hard one. Who would do that? Without co- counting the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it. Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. Is that the worst part? I don't know. Feels like it. They would say, there's the person who started the building and couldn't afford to finish it. (laughs) Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against them? God is concerned about our planning and preparation, and there's many keys in the Bible to help us take the right steps. So it's a foolish thing if we only aim for pleasure or comfort in the present, isn't it? The wise people look to the future. They consider carefully how to build. They consider the cost. They're wise So just as a wise home builder would consider the end goal and work from there, we have to consider what kind of life we want to build. And I have to say, in our community, in our culture, there is a lot of, I don't know, what do you say? The tail, however that goes. Dog chasing the tail, the tail leading, that kind of thing. 
there's a lot of, we haven't considered the life that we want to build. We're just letting life happen to us. We have to consider what kind of life do we want to build. And the Holy Spirit is promised to us. A, a, a gift from heaven who will come and be with us and counsel us when we don't know what to do and empower us to make hard choices. But I want to challenge you, don't overcomplicate that. His help can come in the form of planning your schedule. His help can come in how you're going to plan ahead for your children and their curfew and how dating is going to look. He can help you in parenting your toddler. Two weeks ago, I think, we were talking about rest as being one of the biggest uh, factors in helping us have better than 2020 vision. How many of you identified with that message? I know there were, there were a lot of conversations that came out of that, that message on rest. And God was speaking to several people about it. And um, sometimes when God is speaking to us, it requires change. It's not just an instant, oh, I came for prayer and everything is better. Sometimes there's a miraculous, you know, moment. But a lot of times it's just our willingness to confess and, and get help and do the next right thing. So if a person knows that they need rest and they know that they need to honor the Sabbath, if that's something they would like to build in their life, that's something they want for their future, something they have vision for, it's up to them to do something about it. Because it doesn't just magically happen. So if you have dreams of having a nice day off, like a relaxing day, you know, maybe for me it's going to be no computer work, no laundry, no cooking, no cleaning, I'm going to dream of, you know, maybe watching a Netflix show. I don't know. I never, I never finish them. I fall asleep. Um, going for a walk. I'm going to have a picture of what I want for a day off. Well, I have to plan for that. I have to prepare. And so uh, I can't just run out of laundry and have it, have it ready to go for myself on that day. I have to plan and prepare. So the Jewish culture understood the Sabbath rest, and it was about refraining from work, from those kind of activities. And although it had a lot to do with what you don't do, it also had a lot to do with what you would do, engaging in restful activities to honor the day. And so according to the Jewish law, the Shabbat, Sabbath, actually was observed from a few minutes before sunset on Friday evening, until the appearance of three stars on Saturday night. So we, we usually consider Sunday as a Sabbath in North American culture, in the Christian culture. But how many of us actually shut down on Saturday night? I don't think we do. I think we're running, working up until the very last minute. We don't begin our rest that night and then carry it through all the way to the evening of Sunday. They would um, usher the day in by lighting candles and reciting a blessing. There were three festive meals that were eaten 
Friday evening and then a lunch and a later meal on Sunday. There would be napping, there would be hanging out, time with family, resting, and it would close with a blessing. And so they would exercise their freedom from the regular labors of everyday life, and it gave them an opportunity to spend time with family and contemplate spiritual things. Guys, they, they weren't running to a swim meet to watch their kids on their Sabbath. They weren't driving their son or daughter to work. They weren't arranging play dates, going to the jump yard, picking them up. They had planned and prepared. They had three meals together. Do you think they ran to the grocery store last minute? They planned and prepared so that they could enjoy rest and food and time together. They didn't decide to have a big spring cleaning day or work on the yard. They understood the principle of rest and they planned and prepared. Our culture doesn't do that because we try to fit everything in. So maybe you have a vision for a more restful home. Maybe you have it in your heart to honor the principle of rest. You have to make provision for the vision. You have to do something in order for that dream to come to pass. It will require work. It will require planning and preparation. There are going to be seasons where you need to lean in and listen to the Holy Spirit. And maybe if you're feeling the hustle and the rush, what the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you about is your calendar or your schedule. Maybe it will require you to do some planning. Because it doesn't matter how many dreams we have. We, we have dreams to take our kids on a trip when they turn 12. The two boys have gone. Now it's Annika's turn. I can guarantee you that trip would not happen if someone else in my family was left in charge of the planning and preparation. If I want that dream that we've both agreed upon to happen, it actually falls to me. And there may be some things that fall to you even though you don't want the job, but it's going to take you to do the work. Like I was just thinking, Travis is away. He didn't give me a list that included what schedule the kids were on. He didn't give me a list about like where they had to be at a certain time. He never meal prepped at all. There was no lasagna in the freezer ready and groceries weren't even fresh. I can't believe it. Maybe your family is the opposite way. But what are the dreams that God has placed in your heart? What are the dreams that God has for your family? What do you see for your future? God wants to use you. And maybe you're going to do your thing, but there's still a piece of the wall that God wants you to partner with his overall vision on. We have to be listening so that we can make provision for the vision. And I just, as I prepare to close, just feel like I've spoken to so many families, and women particularly, who would like their home to look differently. You have a vision of what you want family to look like. You dream of your husband being attentive to your children. 
initiating conversation, praying with the family, taking leadership in the home. But can I suggest that you might be the one that God wants to use to make preparation, to make provision for some of those things to happen? Because there are things in your control that you can change. If you filled up the family schedule so full that you barely have time to eat a meal together unless it's out of a brown bag in the back of your car, how do you want him to do that? And if you've only left half an hour in the day for real, um, real connection and you're expecting him to be on in that small window of time that you've made available, you're going to be disappointed. So we can plan and prepare, and it doesn't always look as complicated as we make it. It looks like work. We might have to clear evenings or Saturday. We might have to make changes. The Holy Spirit will speak to you regarding you. We have to plan to pr plan and prepare when it comes to our time and our energy and our budget. Because those things are what we're going to need to take action on so our ideas don't just stay in daydream land. We need to know and own that we're responsible for the choices surrounding our vision. That where and how we spend our time is going to be one of the biggest factors in how our vision is being lived out. So prayer and planning and preparation and people. Nehemiah speaks to each person's piece of the wall. And as we leave here today, we all have a role and a plan to play in God bringing salvation to the world. And that chapter speaks to me that in order to accomplish vision, we will need people. Generations Church needs people to accomplish the vision. Your business needs people to accomplish the vision that God has put in your heart. Your home probably doesn't need extra people in it, but you might need people around you to help you walk out the vision that you have. So make space for people. Be open to people. Take stock of who you may need or what type of person you may need to help you accomplish your vision. So I'm going to invite Christine and the worship team up to close our service today. In chapter 6, it's talking when the builders completed the wall. And it says, And so the wall was finished just 52 days after we had begun. When our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated, and they realized this work had been done with the help of God. I want my action steps to reflect I've, I've had the help of God. I want that to be the light that other people see, is that it's not about me, but God was able to do something through me. And so this morning, um, consider those thoughts that we have to make provision for vision. Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. 
For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.